Several years ago, we did a sermon series here at St. John's titled, No Wonder They Crucified Him. And we went through the series during Lent, leading through the reasons why we are here tonight, why Jesus' life ended in death on the cross. And one of the stories that we shared during that time, I'd like to revisit tonight. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. And it occurs just before Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to join me and follow along. The words will also be on the screen. Or you can just close your eyes and listen. These are Jesus' words, Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 9. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall we do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked over the matter. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone who, on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Up until just a a few years ago, my dad owned a plastic injection mold company. And uh, I might have shared this story before. He he started out just as a little operation before I was born, a one-man show, but eventually partnered with some other individuals and the business grew. And as kids, I'm the oldest of four, my my brother and sisters and I, we didn't spend a whole lot of time at my dad's machine shop. It was a dangerous place, but we would go there to visit on occasion, and when we did, it was always really cool. It was always cool to be able to go because my dad was the owner, and when your dad is the owner, it comes with some privileges. I remember this assorted box of candy that they would have for sale. You had to put a dollar in, a little box in the middle, and you could take whatever you wanted. And I remember every time I would go to Dad's shop, I could always take candy, but I never remember paying for the candy. And I'm not sure if that was because somebody else did or I just didn't have to, but it was my Dad's shop, and I could take the candy. Even as an adult, whenever I was in the area and I would stop by, I never stopped and knocked on the door when I walked in. I just walked in. And it wasn't because I was cocky or anything. I have no clue how to do what my dad does for a living. But my dad's the owner. And when your dad's the owner, it feels kind of silly to knock before you walk in. And I begin there because 
This parable is also about a business owner. And it's about a business owner's son. This past Sunday, we focused on Jesus and his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday. And it was when people were treating him like a literal king, waving palm branches and yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. If you continue in Luke's gospel, you'll see that immediately after Jesus is recorded as going to the temple and clearing it, physically kicking people out, the religious leaders there were taking advantage of the whole system. They were selling animal sacrifices to line their own pockets, and it caused quite the uprising. In Luke chapter 20, verse 1, it says this, One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to Jesus. And they said, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things. Who gave you this authority? Everybody was trying to figure out the answer to this question. His entire ministry He performed miracles. He spoke as if he had some kind of authority on life and the universe itself. And now he enters Jerusalem, and they call him a king, and he doesn't correct them. And now he clears the temple of the Lord. In other words, Jesus is walking around like he's related to the owner. And so the religious leaders ask the question, who do you think you are? Because, see, Jesus and who he is matters. Matters a lot. It matters to us. And it mattered to them. Because if Jesus is who he really says he was, if he is the son of the Father, the Father who has given and owns everything, if that's really who he is, then that matters more than anything else in life. If somebody walked into my dad's machine shop and just opened the door and walked in, they better know somebody there. Because if they don't, some of those guys that work at machine shops can be a little rough. They're going to get kicked out. And so when Jesus walks into your town, when Jesus walks in and teaches in your temple, and people start calling him their king and your king, you're going to have to pick either follow him as king or kill him. Now, Jesus doesn't really give them the answer that they're looking for. Who are you? Instead, he tells them a story. And it's not easy. I'm sorry, it's not hard to see between the lines and what he's saying. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 20, he says, A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. Now, back in Jesus' day, contextually, it was common for a wealthy person to plant a vineyard. And once that vineyard gets established, hire some farmers and rent the vineyard out. It was also a well-known analogy that God used through his word to describe his relationship between his chosen people, Israel. Back in Isaiah, the prophet writes this. He says, I will sing for the one I love. A song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. 
You just read those verses and it tells you that, that planting a vineyard is not easy. Last time we studied this passage, I, I read a couple articles on planting a vineyard and what it, it would take to establish one if you wanted to do it today. And I learned that in today's dollars, if you wanted to start a vineyard, it would take thirty-five dollars to $45,000 per acre just to prepare it. That would be the cost. The land has to be just right. You've got to have expertise behind it. It's not like planting tomatoes in your backyard. And then there's this time factor that I learned. It takes at least two years before a new vineyard produces any fruit. And it takes four years before you produce a single bottle of wine. And so I share all of that because... It's what's illustrated here in the story that Jesus shares about the farmers. On one hand, they've been tending to the vineyard. They've been gathering the fruit. They've been making wine. And I don't want to downplay that they've got sweat equity in this operation. But on the other hand, this is not their land. They are renters. They didn't clear the soil. They didn't plant the vines. They didn't wait years for them to grow. They didn't come into the deal with a down payment. They had nothing coming into it. They're just renting. And so I don't think it's unreasonable what happens next in the story. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, At harvest time, the owner sent a servant to the tenants so that, he would, so that they would give him some of the fruits of the vineyard. I mean, he has a right to do that, doesn't he? This is his vineyard. That he could take some of the fruit, not all of it, but he, he wants to take some of it. And so he sends a servant, but the tenants beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also got beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. And then he sent still a third, and they wounded that one and threw him out. The farmers don't seem to want anybody messing with their fruit, or messing with the owner's fruit, I should say. Because the question is, whose fruit is it? And before we get too judgmental on these farmers, we have to grapple today. It's Good Friday. We have to grapple with the way in which we do the same thing. It's human nature's. It's human nature. How, how many times have you and I said something like this? I earned this. I deserve this. Maybe, maybe you put time into something. Maybe you worked hard to get that degree. You climbed up the corporate ladder. You haven't taken a vacation in forever. You deserve to go on that cruise. I've said that to people. I've felt that way. You bought that house. You built that fence. I remember I shared this story a number of years ago, our, our first experience in foster care. My wife, Alyssa, and I, we got to know the mom of these two children that we had the privilege of taking care of for a year and a half. And it was one of the very first conversations that I had with their mom. It was on the phone. I, I don't remember what holiday it was, um, but we were at, at Alyssa's aunt's house. And I remember her saying to me, your kids have got to remember my kids when they grow up. Now, she had not physically met my kids. I don't even know if I had physically met her myself. And so I said, why do my kids have to remember your kids when they grow up? And she said, well, because they're going someplace in life. They're going to work in some high-rise somewhere. And I want them to remember us when they get there. 
And see, she knew nothing about our family at that point. She didn't know about my kids. She didn't know about their gifts. She didn't know about their talents. At that moment, Jake and Evan, they're sitting right up front here. They were quite a bit younger. Jake was pretty obsessed with dinosaurs all day. That's about where he was. And Evan was convinced that he was preparing to be a professional ninja in life. And if that didn't work out, he had a Jedi sword, and he was going to do that if, if the ninja thing didn't pan out. But because we lived in a different neighborhood, this mother of these children just assumed that our kids were going to have opportunities that her kids might never see. Now, is there anything fair about that? No. Absolutely not. But unless certain things change, it's true, right? What country you're born in? You were born in Ukraine. Do you think your experience today is a little bit different than being born in the Midwest in the United States? You didn't choose that, but that's the way it is. It's not fair, but there it is. The color of your skin, all of it plays a part. And that's why Jesus teaches an upside-down kingdom. He says the first shall be last. And he has to teach it that way because that's the opposite of the way that we act. As soon as we have something in our hands, anything, power or money or opportunity or favor, our instinct is to protect it and say, I deserve this. And if you don't believe me, just ask my three-year-old. If you don't believe him, just ask our seven-month-old with five kids. That kid's already figuring out how to take what he believes is his and hold on to it. It is embedded in our human nature, our sinfulness. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it is his. The world and all of its people belong to him. Now, you may have pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps, but if your bootstraps are made out of leather, unless you're part cow and part shoesmith, those bootstraps, bootstraps came from someplace else. And if that's true, then your responsibility and mine is not to act entitled, it is to be a steward. It's to ask, how do I use what I've been given to the glory and the profit of the one who gave it to me in the first place? The one whose it is, the one who it's going to go back to. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Just like the farmers of the vineyard. And these farmers have forgotten that. And so look at verse 13. Jesus said, The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. They said, this is the heir, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. And so they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. It's insane. But at this point, the farmers have lost all respect for the owner and they want it all for themselves. It's the sin of entitlement. We forget where it all came from. And so Jesus asks those listening in verse 15, he says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? And, and I want you to ask, before we ask, answer the question, what should the owner do? What would be an appropriate response to the farmers? Jesus gives an answer, verse 16. He says, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. But take a step back. Remember, Jesus is telling a story that is really about himself. It's about himself. He's the son. 
The son that is going into the vineyard and is about to be killed at the hands of the wicked servants. And so he continues by quoting a well-known psalm. The same one that was quoted on Palm Sunday, Psalm 118, when they call out, Hosanna, save us. He, he quotes it again. Look at this. Jesus looked directly at them and he said, This is, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone is what holds everything together. And so he's coming full circle to answer the question, you want to know who I am? You want to know what authority I have? I'm the Son of God. I am the Son of the Father. I am the Son of the Owner. And you religious leaders, you're like the farmers who think that you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you're about to kill the Son. But what you don't realize is that it is the Son that's holding the universe together. Verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anybody on whom it falls will be crushed. And so here's what this means to us. If you rely on yourself, on your money, on your might, on your health, on your achievements, as if they are not all gifts that have been given to you, someday they will run out. They will. All of it will. And if you have rejected the one who gave it all to you at the beginning, you'll be left crushed and with nothing. And if we're honest, we are all guilty of doing this. Every single one of us. And my hunch is you know that. It's why you're here on Good Friday. Because it's crushing us. But it doesn't have to because Jesus died on the cross to allow it to crush him instead. C.S. Lewis wrote that people typically respond to this in one of three ways. When they look at the cross and they see what Jesus has done on their behalf, the first way to respond is hatred, the second way is terror, and the third way is adoration. Hatred is the feeling that we get when we think that God is holding something back, that he is taking something away that we are somehow entitled to. And so Jesus shows us that we're not entitled to anything. God is the owner of the very air that we breathe. Life itself, even on its own, is his. He gave it to you. He gave it to me. It's his vineyard. And when you realize that, the first thing that comes to mind, the first emotional response is, is hatred when it starts to be taken away. And then after that, you realize it's all God's. The second response is terror because you realize that you've been just like the farmers. We've done it too. We've taken this life and these gifts that God has given us, these opportunities, these experiences. We've taken them for granted as if they came from us in the first place. And we realize that that is the sin that killed the son. And so the logical consequence of our actions as it begins to sink in is that it should cause us to feel what we're about to sing in just a moment, the song that we sing every single Good Friday when we come together. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? It causes me to tremble. To tremble. To tremble. But today's Good Friday... 
And one of the kids yesterday, on Monday, Thursday, when we went through First Communion, asked me, very honestly, what does good mean about Friday? We talked about Jesus dying on the cross. Why is today good? And the reason it's good is because as we move from hatred to terror, we can come to the recognition that it's God who built the vineyard to begin with. It's God who placed us in it. It's God who gave us the fruit and the wine and the taste buds to enjoy it. Not because it's ours, but because he's God and he's good. And it is God who sent the son knowing full well that he would die and sending him anyway so that we don't have to. And the more that we realize that, and we realize what he has done for for us, the hatred and terror turns to gratitude, and gratitude leads to adoration. Adoration when you realize that the price that was paid by the owner was his son's life. That Jesus himself would be killed by those who hated and feared him so that we might remain in the vineyard with him forever. Luke 9, 21, Jesus said, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And so that's what we're here tonight to do, to consider this truth. And as we consider it, let us consider how the parable would play out in our life And how it plays out in our life as we consider Jesus and the way in which he died on the cross for us. Let's watch. Mark 15, beginning at verse 42, the burial of Jesus. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, 
He gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in the tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw where he was laid. Please stand.